This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. Uh, you'd gather around the table with your family, uh, you'd open with these words, very famous words from the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, it's called the Shema. It says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. So we are going to devote our time to loving God tonight. Uh, And to do that, as we do every week, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. Now, I know normally we stand in rows of seats. It might feel different to stand with a table beside you or in front of you, Uh, but we're going to do our best You might want to close your eyes and pretend the table's not there. Uh, We're going to do our best to really connect with God in this time. Uh, We've got a couple of songs we're going to sing uh, just to bring us into a place uh, where our hearts are ready. Uh, Because I want this whole night tonight, not just to be a a historical experience of Passover, but an actual worshipful experience connecting with Jesus uh, through this ancient ritual meal. So please stand. And I'll pray and we'll sing. Lord, our Lord, you are God and you alone are God. Lord, we love you with all our hearts and all our souls and all our strength. Lord, I pray that tonight uh, everything that we say and do together would be an act of worship to lift you up to celebrate who you are and what you've done in Jesus name we pray amen Chapter 22, it says this. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher says, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. Now, you and I, When we read that, we might get a certain impression, a certain idea in our minds about what is going on here. What I want to do tonight is to help us get a deeper understanding of this particular Passover, this Passover that we often call the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples. 
I think often what we think is that this was just a meal. Jesus and his friends just got together to have dinner at someone's house. It was a little bit random the way they made their way to that house. It seems to be a house of someone they didn't really know. (laughs) That's odd. But apart from that, we kind of just go, oh yeah, they had a meal. And we might even know that at that meal, Jesus did what we now call communion, where he took some bread and some wine and he said, this is my body and this is my blood, which we often celebrate here at church. But I think we miss what they mean when they say Passover. Maybe we pass over that word. That's my dad joke for the night. So I thought we should uh, figure out what is Passover. Hang on, I've got slides, but I'm not using them. It's not now. Click. Oh, we did that. We did that. What is the Passover? Here we go. So, the Passover is a celebration in the form of a meal, and it's a meal that tells a story, not just any story, a historic story, uh, the story of the Exodus. This is the story of God's people being rescued from Egypt, where they were enslaved by the Pharaoh of Egypt uh, about 3,200 years ago. So, this is ancient ancient history. Uh, If you don't know the story, uh, basically, uh, there's a guy called Moses, you've probably heard of him, Uh, and there's a guy called Pharaoh, and they have this long-standing argument over whether Pharaoh is going to let God's people leave and no longer be slaves to him, or whether he's going to keep them working for him. Uh, And it goes on and on, this argument, Uh, And God intervenes again and again to bring plagues on the nation of Egypt to kind of wake up the Pharaoh and and get him to take notice. Uh, And it's almost like normally if you had a group of slaves enslaved in the ancient world and they all wanted to stop being slaves, they would rise up, they would arm themselves with whatever weapons they could get their hands on, and they would overthrow their masters, they'd kill a lot of people, and they would take over or they'd run away or whatever that looked like, a a slave revolt. Uh, But God does it a different way. Uh, If you want to read it, it's it's in the book of Exodus, chapters uh, 1 through 18. Um, But it's a lot to read, we're not going to read it all tonight. Instead, uh, what I want to do is, is give you a little taste of kind of the Passover moment, uh, the, the part of the story that gives us that word, Passover. Uh, what is being passed over? Who is passing over what uh, is really important in this story. Uh, and I'm not going to tell you it. We're going to get it in film, cinematic form. Uh, I don't know if you guys know the movie The Prince of Egypt. If you haven't seen it, it's a classic animated movie. And we're just going to watch a little scene from that now. Thanks, Caleb. It's powerful, isn't it? And it's a real reminder and a good place to start uh, to acknowledge that the Passover festival celebration... Uh, is tinged with this kind of solemnness 
of acknowledging uh, that while it is a celebration, uh, right in the very heart of the story is tragedy and death. Uh, and even today, when Jewish people celebrate Passover, uh, a lot of the celebration is acknowledging that and, and is quite solemn, as you'll see tonight. Now, I don't think it was a coincidence, and the Bible doesn't think it's a coincidence. Jesus himself uh, is pretty clear that it is no coincidence that the events of Easter took place in the week of Passover, that this festival of God's people was taking place at the very time when Jesus was arrested and killed on the cross. Uh, that was God's intentional timing. Uh, God was doing another Passover. And so tonight what we're going to do um, is, is we're not, I'm not going to pretend to be Jewish because I'm not. Uh, we're not going to pretend to be Jewish. Um, what we're trying to do is sort of join some of the dots between the Jewish Passover festival that Jesus celebrated 2,000 years ago with his disciples in that upper room on that Thursday night with the events that happened the day after on Good Friday. Uh, so this is actually more of an Easter experience than a Passover experience, although it's kind of both. I don't know, you know what augmented reality is? The thing where you hold up your smartphone and it like uses your camera but things are different? We're doing that. We're kind of holding up our smartphones to the Passover and seeing Jesus and Easter simultaneously. Um, that's my, my modern analogy. So yeah, tonight we're celebrating freedom. We're celebrating that God has set us free. Just as Jesus and his disciples, or Jesus and Mary and Joseph and his brothers, all of the disciples with their families would have celebrated every year, year on year on year, the freedom that God brings. For them, it was the freedom from slavery to Pharaoh in Egypt, and for us, it's the freedom from sin and death that we've been set free by Jesus. The first thing you do when you come to a Passover meal uh, is that you light the candle. Uh, each of you will have a candle on your table, uh, and I'd like one person at the table uh, to take a match and light the candle. Traditionally, the matriarch, the grandma or the mother in the household would do this job. So if you have a grandma or a mum at your table, she can do it. If not, just any volunteer. Now, once, once you have your candle lit, um, I'd like whoever lit the candle to pray the prayer that's on the screen there with those at your table. Go for it, whenever you're ready. Now this is the traditional Passover prayer, sort of modernized slightly and slightly shortened. Um, but we know that Jesus is the light of the world, 
That's what he called himself. Uh, and there's a sense in which um, you can kind of see in this prayer that we've just prayed uh, a sense that Jesus is the, the light, uh, the light who brings light into darkness. And so uh, everything we do tonight will be centered around Jesus. Uh, now, traditionally, in a Passover, uh, you drink wine. We've got grape juice tonight, so if you're underage, you'll be okay. You can join in. Um, there are traditionally four Passover cups. Here they are. Um, the four cups is not literally four cups on your table. Uh, there's enough for one per person. But you fill and drink from your cup four times. You have four cups of wine across the course of the meal. Um, and each one is a celebration of a different aspect of what God has done. Earlier in the book of Exodus, before the Passover moment, in the midst of the kind of fight with Pharaoh, uh, there are these famous words. Uh, so this is in... Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. God says, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. And those four declarations, those four promises that God makes to his people before he's even started the process of setting them free from Pharaoh... They're the four things that we celebrate with the four cups. So, divvy out your cups, have someone pour some juice into each one, uh, and we're going to do the first cup, which is the cup of holiness. So, pour, pour out enough for everyone, but don't, don't start drinking just yet. I'll tell you when to drink. If you're allergic to grape juice, you can just have an empty cup and just join in. Does, does, any, does anyone need another cup on their table? Has everyone got enough? Oh, this table needs another cup, Lewis. Maybe. Oh, and that one. So the first promise of those four promises in Exodus 6 is, I will bring you out. Uh, this is the idea that God is saying, you're kind of living amongst these other peoples, intermingled with them. I'm going to bring you out and, and you'll be just you, just my people together. That they'll be set apart for God's special purposes. And that, that he, has, he treasures them, that they're his treasured possession. But Jesus, when he got to this cup with his disciples on that special Last Supper Passover meal, he said these words in Luke 22, 17 and 18. He said, take this thing, this cup, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So what Jesus is saying is that this is not the cup that is... that the people of God are, are the Jewish people set apart. He's now saying this cup represents that the kingdom of God is God's people set apart. 
So you, like me, might not be ethnically Jewish, but we can drink this cup tonight as the cup of the kingdom of God. We can drink this cup knowing that you are one of God's people. If you belong to Jesus, if He is your King, then you belong to the kingdom of God and you can drink this cup set apart as God's people. So please, let us drink together. You can keep drinking as we go along. You don't just have to have one sip and stop. After the first cup, the next thing that happens is that the unleavened bread is broken at the table. Uh, The breaking of bread is also a sort of symbolic moment. Uh, This isn't the moment you eat the bread, this is the moment you break the bread, and they're at separate parts of the ritual. Uh, So we're not going to eat it yet, but we are going to break it. Uh, The point of the breaking of the bread traditionally in the Passover meal uh, is about symbolizing the fact that as God's people, we are a sharing people. Uh, And even the ancient Jewish people celebrated that they were a sharing people, that they shared what they had with one another, and that God had set them apart, they just drunk that cup of holiness, God had set them apart to be a people who would be a blessing to the world, sharing beyond just one another. But Jesus, when He got to this moment in His Passover meal, we read in Luke 22, the next verse, just after I left off, says, and He took bread gave thanks and broke it, that's what you're supposed to do, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So Jesus is saying, I'm not just sharing with you some bread, or I'm not just sharing with you my money or my resources. I'm sharing with you my very body, my very life. He's saying, my body is going to be broken apart like this bread that we break. And my body is going to be shared with everyone. So we're not going to eat the bread, but we are going to break it. Um, So whoever at the table would like to uh, be the leader for this moment, uh, take one of the bits of bread, um, and as you break it, You can say, uh, did I put the words on the next slide? Oh, okay, I'll say the words as you break it. So hold your bread, and I'll say the words, because I forgot to put them on the slide. Are you ready? Let all who are hungry come and eat. Let all who are needy come in and share the hope of Passover that Jesus gave his life. For us. That's great. Good breaking. <laughs> so earlier on, um, I told you some of the story of the Exodus. I do encourage you uh, to read all of Exodus 1 through 18. That's kind of the narrative bit of the book of Exodus. You can read the rest as well. Once you get started, you'll love it. Um, the other thing you could do is you could find out whatever streaming service is currently hosting The Prince of Egypt and watch it because it's a great classic movie. Um, but traditionally, the leader, the, uh, the patriarch of the household at this point would stand up at the table and would retell 
in his own words, the story from those chapters of the book of Exodus. Uh, So I'm going to do that as the leader tonight. Uh, I'll do my best. Um, It's supposed to be my own paraphrase, uh, not just reading word for word from what's in the Bible. If I if I get something wrong and you, you know those chapters really well, let me know. So in the time of Joseph, the son of Jacob, God's people was just Jacob's family. And Jacob's family with Joseph moved from Canaan to Egypt, where Joseph had become a kind of prime minister, a high-ranking official in Pharaoh's court. And they were really well-respected and well-regarded, and they were given the best land in Egypt to settle in. But Jacob and Joseph and his brothers, they all died, and so did the Pharaoh. And their children and their children's children and their children's children's children all passed away. And generation after generation went by, and some 400 years later, the pharaohs and the Egyptians had forgotten who these people were and what special place they had in saving the nation of Egypt all those years ago with Joseph. They thought, these Israelites are different. They're not like us. And there's a lot of them, and they keep having babies, and we don't like it. And in fact, one pharaoh was so concerned that he decided we should make these people our slaves. They are less than us. They are not true Egyptians and we should enslave them. And they did. Sometime later, uh, another pharaoh was so worried about how many of these slaves they were and how strong they were. I mean, they they were good slaves, good workers, but there was a lot of them and it was a bit scary. So what he did was he instructed the midwives to kill all of the newborn male Hebrew boys that were born. But there was one boy who was born in that time who was kept secret. The midwives didn't get rid of him like they were told to, and his mother kept him secluded in the home until she couldn't keep him hidden anymore. And this boy was placed in a basket and placed in the Nile River. And he floated down the Nile and was found and adopted by who else but the Pharaoh's very own daughter. And she named him Moses, which means he came from the water. He survived to adulthood, but not just adulthood, but princehood. He'd been adopted as a member of the royal household, brought up in privilege. And in that time, when he reached adulthood, he became aware that there were these slaves and that they were being treated poorly. And he saw an overseer mistreat a slave, and he killed the overseer. And he hoped no one had seen, but someone did. And so... Fearing retribution, he fled. He left his place of privilege. He left everyone he knew, and he ran out into the desert across 
in the wilderness of Sinai. When he was there, he became a shepherd, uh, and as he was tending his sheep, uh, he happened to go up a particular mountain, just like any other, but at the top of the mountain, chasing after a lost sheep, he found a bush, and the bush was burning, but it wasn't being consumed by the fire, and he approached this burning bush, flamed but not consumed, and a voice spoke to him from the bush, and the voice said, I am, I am, is speaking to you, and you must lead my people into freedom. You must go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And Moses said no. And that's the end of the story. Uh, it's, hard, it's hard to argue with God. He tried a few times, uh, and eventually, eventually, he gave in. And he returned to Egypt with his brother Aaron, and they went and argued with Pharaoh. And Pharaoh refused to let the people go. And Moses warned that the mighty God would strike the Egyptian people. And the Pharaoh didn't believe him. Why would he? And there was a plague where all the water in Egypt was turned to blood, but Pharaoh still refused to let the people go. There was a plague of frogs, a plague of lice, a plague of flies, a plague of the death of all livestock, boils and hailstones, locusts and darkness, and still he refused to let them go. Pharaoh's heart was hard. Finally, as we've already discussed tonight, the last of these ten plagues was warned to Pharaoh. plague of the death of the firstborns. And still the Pharaoh was hard-hearted and he wouldn't listen. And so, on that night, the Israelites huddled together in their homes with their cloaks on, with their walking sticks already in their hands, all their bags packed, ready to go. And as soon as the night was over and the sun rose, Pharaoh told them to go. And so they fled. They fled out into the wilderness. But Pharaoh's army followed them and cornered them at the Red Sea. But God parted the sea and God's people walked out on dry land. Tonight we are remembering, we are reliving what it means to be free. We are celebrating and we are mourning this complex story. That God in his wisdom has acted in history to bring about freedom, even at the cost 
of life. In memory of the plagues of Egypt, we're going to spill some wine. I'm going to spill the wine. You don't have to. But symbolically, we spill a drop of wine to remember that this is a hard story. The wine symbolizes celebration and joy and jubilance. Wine is what you drink at a party, and yet we're going to spill out its contents, that in the midst of this story of God's victory, there is also pain and suffering. We grieve for the plagues, for the water in Egypt turned to blood, for the plague of frogs, the plague of lice, the plague of flies, the death of the livestock, the boils on people's skin, the huge hailstones falling from the sky, the locusts destroying the crops of Egypt, the darkness descending on all the land, and finally, the plague of the death of the firstborn. We remember and we grieve. And we grieve too for the plagues of our own time, for selfishness and greed, for falsehood and deception, the inhumane treatment of those who are defenceless, be they the very young or the very old, the poor, the marginalized. We grieve for the apathy of those who see suffering and do not care. We grieve for aggression and violence, whether it's in the home or between nations making war. We grieve for the envy that we feel toward the joy of others, for the disregard people have for the world God has created. We grieve for the lack of justice for so many who are victims to evil and cruelty. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. So now it is time to eat the bread. You've been waiting for this moment. Oh, I missed that slide. The bread at the Passover, you'll notice, is unleavened. It's flat bread. It hasn't been risen. And that is because it is bread made without yeast. In Exodus chapter 12, God specifically and repeatedly tells His people they must make their bread with no yeast in it. He tells them that because they're in a hurry. They don't have time to let the bread rise. After waiting for literally hundreds of years, praying, God, please set us free from Egypt, suddenly there is no time left. The time is at hand. There isn't even time for bread to rise. 
But along with that bread, we also eat bitter herbs, also known as maror. Uh, God instructed his people to eat the unleavened bread with the bitter herbs together. These bitter herbs are a reminder of the slavery that the people are fleeing from. And you know, when Jesus ate this meal with his disciples, he dipped his bread in his bitter herbs in quite a famous moment. Uh, This is from John's version of this Last Supper. Uh, It says, after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to what, which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, which we think was John, was reclining next to him, like this, on the floor, reclining at the table. Simon Peter motioned to his disciple, this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. So, John leans back against Jesus and asks him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Jesus is connecting the uh, bitterness of the bitter herbs that are supposed to be the bitterness of slavery He's reconnecting it now with the bitterness of betrayal, with the bitterness of his coming arrest and crucifixion. Or maybe he is poetically saying that Judas is in a kind of slavery, uh, that the bitterness of slavery is in Judas's heart. He is enslaved by his greed and selfishness. So we're going to take some of our bread that we've either that we've broken or we'll break some more, um, and we're going to dip it in the dip on your table. Don't be too heavy-handed; it's quite bitter. <laughs> uh, dip some bread in the bitterness and eat it. God, we give you thanks, we give you thanks for your provision that you give us every day all the things that we need. As Jesus taught us to pray, give us each day our daily bread. Lord, we thank you for the bread that you give us. We praise you uh, that you have given us Jesus, whose body, like this bread, was broken for us. And Lord, we acknowledge and we, we face those things in our lives that are still so full of bitterness. And Lord, we thank you that Jesus understands this too, that he knows the bitterness of life, even the bitterness of being betrayed by one of his closest friends. Lord, we thank you that you know, that you see, that you care. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now, you might, after that bitter dip, be keen for another cup. You'll be pleased to know uh, our forebears 
the ancestors through the ages, in their wisdom, decided that the next thing in the meal should be the second cup. <laughs> the second cup is the cup of deliverance. And as we drink it, we declare that God is a God who sets us free, just as he freed the Israelites in Egypt. Jesus said these words on the screen, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So let us wash away the bitterness of slavery with the cup of deliverance. Now, at this point in a traditional Passover, uh, the next thing that happens at the meal is a ceremonial washing. What would normally happen is that there will be a, a, a big bowl of water on your table uh, and everyone would wash their hands in the water uh, as a symbol uh, that we are preparing now to come to the key, the pinnacle, the, the feature, the central point of the Passover meal, of the Passover celebration. Uh, just after this is when Jesus and his disciples would have eaten the Passover lamb, the big moment in the Passover for their Passover meal. But you know what Jesus did? You're getting the pattern here? Again and again, Jesus takes the elements of the Passover and he reworks them to make them say something new. And at this point, he got up from the table and he took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist and he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. This is not what you're supposed to do at the Passover at this point. This is the wrong washing. And so when he came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put his clothes on and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So, tonight, you'll notice 
that the pitcher of water is a bucket. And it's not on your table for washing your hands, it's on the floor for washing feet. I haven't appointed someone at each table to be the foot washer for your table. And I've done that intentionally. You know, by this point in the meal, I think you know who the leader at your table is. That person who's taken charge of pouring the cups, that person who's volunteered to light the candles, that person who did the breaking of the bread, that person is the leader at your table. So you can dob them in. I think you're doing that already. And I encourage you to go to go to each person at your table and to offer to wash their feet. They have the right to refuse. Just like Peter refused. But I do encourage you, even if it's a bit weird, we're going to try it anyway, uh, to wash one another's feet. All right. Can I return to your seats? Hopefully everyone got their feet cleaned. So now after the washing, uh, that brings us to what for Jesus and his disciples was the pinnacle of the Passover meal. Uh, The central element of the Passover was the lamb or the goat uh, that had been slain. Uh, In the first Passover, in the book of Exodus, uh, the blood of that lamb was was placed on the door frames, like so, uh, with a branch of a hyssop. And they'd take this hyssop branch and dip it in the lamb blood and paint it on the door frames to mark out that this family belongs to the Lord. This family trusts God. And it was almost as if this lamb was taking the place of the firstborn son of that household. Every year, in the tabernacle and later in the, in the temple that was built in Jerusalem, the priests would come and they would kill lambs at the Passover... Uh, People would take that lamb meat back to their homes for this moment in the Passover meal, as Jesus and his disciples would have done. However, in 70 AD, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed, and it hasn't ever been rebuilt. Uh, 70 AD, if if you don't know the timelines, about 35 years after Jesus and his disciples shared this meal. So it's pretty soon after. And from that point on, Jewish people have not eaten lamb at the Passover dinner. Uh, It's a way of of mourning the loss of their temple and of acknowledging uh, that there is something missing from their religion. Uh, And so they have a, a shank bone of a lamb on their plate, just the bone with no meat on it, as a kind of placeholder a ceremonial reminder uh, of that. So tonight we're not 
going to eat lamb, even though Jesus and his disciples would have done so. Uh, you'll notice it's not on your tables. Um, I think really in respect uh, of the significance of, the, uh, of this moment to a modern, or relatively modern, even back to 70 AD, uh, a modern Jewish tradition. But it is worth remembering in this moment of the meal uh, that we have a new Passover lamb, uh, not one who needs sacrificing every year, but one who gave his life once and for all, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, as John the Baptist called him. Just as that Passover lamb gave its blood to save the firstborn sons of the Israelites, so Jesus died and gave his blood to save the world. There are two cups left to finish our meal. The third cup is the cup of redemption. Uh, This is the cup uh, that remembers uh, that God has redeemed his people out of slavery. And we too have been redeemed by Jesus. And so Jesus, in his Passover supper with his disciples... It says in Luke 22.20, it's on the screen. In the same way after the supper, which now we know what that means, at this point in the meal, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. It couldn't be any clearer. Blood poured out. That's what they did with the lamb. And Jesus is saying, this is my blood poured out. And he calls it the blood of the new covenant. The old covenant was a covenant of sacrifice of animals in a temple, a covenant of rules and regulations. And Jesus is saying, now we have a new covenant, a new way of relating to God, a covenant with Jesus as our Passover lamb. So, we take this cup and we think of Jesus who poured out his life, his blood for us that we might know God personally in a new covenant. Let us take and drink together. And the fourth and final cup is a cup of celebration, celebrating the promise, that fourth and final promise of God in Exodus 6 verse 7, where he says, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And so, uh, in celebration of everything that Jesus has done for us, we're going to take the fourth cup and drink once more to celebrate that we have the relationship with God through Jesus, where we can say, He is mine and I am His. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we celebrate tonight. 
We celebrate everything that you have done for us, everything that you won for us at that cross. And Lord, even as we look at the story of the Exodus, of your people rescued from slavery in Egypt 3,000 years ago, Lord, we also look to you and that you have set us free from sin and from death. Lord, that you have given us a new life, a new covenant, a new relationship with you. Lord, we praise you that you call us your children. Lord, that you send your Holy Spirit, that we might each and every one of us know you intimately and personally. Lord, we thank you that Jesus died to save us, died to rescue us, died to wash us clean and give us new life, and died to give us hope in you. Amen. After the meal, we sing. That's the tradition. In fact, Jesus and his disciples, it says in Matthew 26, verse 30, and when they had sung a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. It's almost like a throwaway line in the midst of it. Uh, But it's worth knowing that even in Jesus' day, at the end of the Passover meal, everyone would sing a hymn together. And so we too are going to sing. That's good. You heard the cue. It came up on stage already. I love it. So please stand if you're able, uh, and we will sing praise together. So we're going to sing together. We're going to sing about the goodness of God. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.